Oh God, you really are more beautiful than we can imagine. And I ask that you'd help us to see that more clearly this morning. Help us to see that in the midst of what we're going through, in the midst of what seems like some of the most difficult times of our life, that you are revealing yourself as a God of beauty and a God of love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. He walked determinedly outside of his tent and he walked and he grabbed his axe and as he grabbed his axe, he walked over to the pile of wood and he began to hoist the axe and to split the wood piece by piece. He was splitting the wood. Now you might say, well, that's no big deal, but this guy was 120 years old. I don't know how many of you split wood at 120. Actually, none of you have. So don't think that it was an easy task, but here this guy is, and he has this determined look on his face as he's splitting piece after piece of wood. I can only imagine the thoughts that are racing through his mind, the, the, the conflicting feelings that are going through his heart. Wondering what is going to happen. He'd gotten up extra early in the morning to do this. He'd gotten special instructions straight from God. In fact, I want you to check them out for yourself. Genesis chapter 22. Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 22. Grab a pew Bible in front of you or follow along on the screen. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things... That God tested Abraham. Now, if we just pick up this chapter randomly and we just open it up and we start to read, we think, okay, after these things, and we read the verse, but after these things, there's been all kinds of things happening in Abraham's life. We just talked about two weeks ago, Genesis chapter 15. Do you remember that? Where God told him to take and he split the animals in half. And as he split the two animals in half, God was showing him that there's a bigger picture of how God was going to come himself and make a covenant with his people that would result in God being ripped apart on the cross. If you missed that, you can go and check out the bigger picture on our website in the podcast section of our website. He'd gotten that picture, this covenant with God. But the very next chapter, what do we find Abraham doing? Have you read the story of Genesis lately? Genesis chapter 15, God says, I'm going to multiply your descendants. They're going to be like the stars of heaven in number. He says, what about Ishmael? He says, no, I'm making this covenant with you. And to prove it to you, I'm going to pass between these animals that are split in two. And then the very next thing, Sarah comes to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I'm not having kids and I'm not getting any younger. So how about you go into Hagar and Abraham goes ahead and goes into Hagar and takes another wife and tries to by himself provide salvation for himself and for his family. He tries to provide a future in his own strength and it turns out pretty terrible if you read the conflicts that happen between Hagar and Sarah But then in chapter 17, God comes again and he he says very clearly to Abraham, no, I am making this covenant with you and Sarah and you're going to have a child and you should name him Isaac because you keep laughing about this idea that you're going to have a child at such an old age. Then in the preceding chapters, we find that they have a, a son and his name is Isaac and God has specifically promised that in this son, Isaac, you're going to have descendants that are multiplied as the stars of heaven. 
And Abraham knows specifically that this means that through Isaac will come the Messiah. That through Isaac will come deliverance for sin. This is a bigger picture than just having grandkids. We all like to have children, grandkids, great-grandkids. This is bigger than just Abraham having a big family. This is actually saying your salvation is going to come through one of Isaac's children. The Messiah is going to come, the one who will deliver you, who will fulfill this covenant on your behalf. And so, in Genesis chapter 22, God appears to him. It's been some time since God has talked directly with him and says, Now it came to pass, after these things, that God, what, Abraham? Tested Abraham. Why would God have to test Abraham at this point? Wasn't it enough that Abraham was 75 years old when God said, okay, leave behind your family, leave Ur, and go out to a land of which I'll show you. He had to live in tents. He had to leave behind everything that he knew. Wasn't that a test enough? And now God shows up to test Abraham. Wasn't it a test enough that he had promised him descendants in Genesis chapter 12? And he promised it again in Genesis chapter 15. But it took until he was a hundred years old to finally have the son of promise. Twenty-five years had passed. And now at this point, Abraham is a hundred and twenty years old. His son is finally growing up as the son of promise, and he's had to listen to the command of God to, to send Ishmael and Hagar away from the camp because they have been uh, unwilling to keep the peace in the camp. He's been through a lot of tests. But God shows up one more time and says, I'm going to test Abraham. So it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And he said, here I am. Verse 2, then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Can you imagine the feeling in Abraham's heart at that moment? Isaac was his son of promise. Isaac meant so much to him. Isaac was was not just his only son in his camp. Isaac was not just the one that he had waited for for so many years, but but it was through Isaac that salvation was going to come. It was through Isaac that that the world was going to be saved. And and now he was going to have to sacrifice him. What is God doing? What is God's purpose in your life when a test comes? I love in this verse how it really sets the context of what this chapter is all about. Notice how it says, take now your son, your only son, whom you, what does it say? Love. This is the first time that the word ahav, the Hebrew word for love, is introduced in scripture. And there's a principle in the Bible of first mention. When something is first mentioned, you see in a story or context that helps you to understand the meaning of this word. It happens again and again with different words in the Bible. And so here, for the very first time, we're getting a picture of what love is like. Abraham loved Isaac. 
I can only imagine what that's like. But I already feel like I love my two little twin daughters who are on the way. I feel like, like I just can't wait for them to be born. I already am imagining what it's going to be like living life with them. And so I can only imagine what it was like for Abraham who had waited for far longer than I've waited to have kids. And then who had raised him for 20 years. Who had delighted in him. But not only that, but he also saw that Isaac was the one through whom salvation was going to come for the entire planet. And now God is testing Abraham. What does it mean that God is testing Abraham? I want you to to stay here and flip over to Exodus chapter 20, but keep keep a finger here if you're in your Bible, and go over to Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, what happens in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments are given by God. Now, this is not where they're actually written down on the stone, but this is where they are spoken by God to his people. And it is terrifying to God's people when he speaks this law of love from Mount Sinai. Did you know that the people were terrified by it? Just look at what happens in verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. They were terrified by this God who shows up on a mountain and who gives them this instruction, who tells them all of these commandments about don't make graven images, worship on the seventh day Sabbath, don't murder, and gives them all of these instructions. And as they hear the voice of God, they're shaken to the core. And then Moses says something in verse 20. Look at this. This is key to understanding what happens when God tests his people. And Moses said to the people, what is the first thing he says? Do not fear. Don't be afraid. This isn't here to scare you. This is to help your life. God does not come into our life with a test in our life, with a trial in our life. Those things are not there to make our lives more difficult, to make our lives more scary. But they're there because he wants to reveal himself to us more. Because he wants for our heart to come into a deeper relationship with him. He's there offering them this incredible invitation of a covenant relationship with him. And he's desperately wanting them to accept it. And they're shaking in their boots. So he says, do not fear. And then look at what it says. For God has come to, what does it say? Test you. The same word that he used when Abraham was tested by God. That his, what does it say? Fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Now it's interesting. He says, do not fear so that the fear of God may be before you. Does it sound a little bit counterintuitive? But maybe there's something different about having an awe, a reverence, a a standing in awe of God fearing God versus being afraid, being afraid of what you see of God. And we'll discover that more as we look in Genesis chapter 22. But here you see that Moses is seeking to comfort them when he says that God has come to test you. And Abraham here is actually about to see something that Jesus will later say gave him the greatest joy of his life. And yet it was the toughest trial of his life. How about you sitting here this morning? Have you been going through some things? Are you going through some stuff at work? Are you going through some stuff with your family? Have you faced a few trials in your life? 
Have you felt like everything is crashing in around you and like God just isn't there taking care of you and like he's asking things of you that are just too difficult? Abraham knew exactly what that felt like. Back in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He doesn't delay. He has developed a relationship with God that James chapter uh, 3, I believe it is, goes on to say that, that Abraham was justified by his works. Faith and works were working together. He had this belief in God that resulted in such a, he calls him a friend of God. And because he believed in God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham was such a friend of God that when God gave him instructions, when God asked him to do something that seemed radical, he said, I'm going to do it. It seemed totally contrary to the character of God. It seemed opposite to what he knew of God. Even though he knew of pagan cultures that would go and sacrifice their children, he knew that his God wasn't like that. He knew that his God had promised that in Isaac, salvation was going to come. He knew that, that this was what was promised of God. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now where was the place? Verse 2 told us where this place was. Is the land of Moriah. So he's headed off to the land of Moriah. This would have been from Beersheba where he was, about a 65 to 70 mile journey. And if you're 120 years old, you're traveling, and, and we may think that in Bible times that wasn't old, but by this point in Bible history, that was very old, 120 years old. He's going on a 65, 70 mile journey. The donkey's probably just carrying the wood and carrying the supplies. This is an exhausting experience for a man who is headed to do what he feels is the worst thing he's ever done in his entire life. It would have taken about three days, interestingly enough, to travel 65 to 70 miles because verse 4 says, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. He lifts up his eyes and he sees this mountain and there must have been something about this mountain. God must have given some sign of his presence. Maybe it was similar to when on Mount Sinai, God displayed his glory in the cloud before he spoke his law. Moses has been asked to do something. Abraham has been asked to do something that is really hard. Do you sometimes feel like the things that God has asked you to do are tough? You sometimes feel like they don't make sense. Like, well, that probably worked back in Bible times to set aside 24 hours to worship God from sunset Friday until sunset Saturday. But, but not today. I mean, today that's really difficult. I have my job. I have my different things. That I, that's really tough. Or maybe you feel like uh, it's difficult to put God first in the area of your finances. Say, God, God asked for 10% of a tithe plus offerings after that. That's, that's asking a lot in today's world. I've got to take care of my family first. Sometimes God asks things that may not make sense from our perspective. Sometimes he asks big things of us. And he's looking for people like Abraham who have so fallen in love with him 
that they just want to do whatever he asks them to do. On the third day, he looks up and he sees the place afar off in verse 5. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and what does it say? Worship. Hang on. What is Abraham going to do? To kill his son. He's going to take his most treasured thing on this planet. His son. The relationship that he valued the most. He's going to take that son in whom he feels that the entire planet is going to experience salvation through the descendants of this son. And he's also an innocent victim. And he feels that he's going to take him and sacrifice him. And he says, we're going up there to worship. Kind of reframes what worship is all about, doesn't it? I mean, worship is about singing about God, about singing about his love and recounting how pen could not tell the love of God. But worship's got to go really deep in our hearts. To really worship God is, is to value him, to, to give the, the word comes really from worth, adding worth to God, saying, I value God above everything else in my life. God is worth everything. God is a priceless treasure to me. I'm worshiping him. And that's why we sing to him. That's why we talk about him. That's why we praise him because he is worthy. And this is one of the first times that that word for worship is used. And we get this context that that worship is something far bigger than we often think. It's more than just singing songs and and rejoicing in in another day of, of, of life. It's about giving our all to Jesus. So he says, I and the lad, we're going to go yonder and we will worship. And then what does he say? And we will come back to you. This is phenomenal what he is saying here. And if you read it in the Hebrew, it's very clear because each verb has the pronoun attached to it. And when it says, we will come back to you, that's all in the same verb. It's right there in the Hebrew. He's clearly saying something. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to take Isaac and I'm going to go up there and we're going to worship God. And who's going to come back? We both. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a little insight into what Abraham is thinking here. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll look at uh, verse 8. Sorry, actually, we'll skip down a little bit further in the chapter. We'll go to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. So what story is this talking about? This is talking about the offering of Isaac, exactly what we're talking about now. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound at all like John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him. You know, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus is saying that to Nicodemus in that night interview, And Jesus is sitting down with Nicodemus and they're talking back and forth about the kingdom of heaven. And as they're talking about these things, he says to him, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
That would have impacted Nicodemus because that would have immediately triggered in his mind the story that we're looking at. This story is a story that reveals the love of God, that reveals who Jesus is and what he has come to do. It's it's one of the, the most beautiful pictures in the Old Testament of who your God is and how he feels about you. So here it says, uh, when Abraham, in Hebrews eleven seventeen, 17, he, he was tested. He offered up his only begotten son, verse 18. And of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. He had a clear promise that, that the descendant was going to come through Isaac. And then verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. What was he counting on? What was Abraham expecting? How big is your God? Abraham had never seen something like this take place. Abraham had, should have no conception of, of life after death. Abraham could have no conception of a resurrection except for some promises in the Bible. But he just knows that the word of God is faithful and he knows that he can trust his God. Do I know that I can trust my God no matter what? When he says something that he will fulfill what he has promised to me, no matter how big that promise seems. Abraham says, well, if, if he's off asking me to do this, then clearly he's going to raise Isaac back from the dead. He's going to worship because he knows who he believes in. He knows who he's trusting in. So it says, continuing on, Uh, that we will come back to you, verse 5, and then verse 6 of chapter 22. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it, where did he lay it? On Isaac, his son. What? Practical reasons, maybe, because Abraham's 120 years old and Isaac is 20 years old, so it's easier for him to carry the wood up the mountain. But there may be other reasons as well. We'll come back to that. So he laid it on his son and took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two went on together. Verse 7 is one of the, is the climax really of the chapter. Verse 7 and verse 8. Don't miss this. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father? You can almost hear, it's almost like a, 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 he, they've been walking along in silence and, and the, the, the palpable silence is suddenly broken by this, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, well, look, the fire and the wood, it's on my back. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? There's something missing here. I, you've promised, uh, you've taken me before to, to go out and, and do these sacrifices before, but there's something missing here, Dad. What, what's going on here? And look at verse 8. And Abraham said, My son. Just imagine the heartache in his, his voice. My son. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Now when he says this here in the Hebrew, it's pretty fascinating because it actually, if you were to translate it literally, it says, my son, 
God will provide himself for a lamb. You see what he's saying here? He's saying God himself will show up. God is the one who showed up and and who went through the middle of the pieces. He's the one who promised me, yes, I've been unfaithful. Yes, I went into Hagar. Yes, I haven't trusted God. Yes, I lied to Abimelech. Yes, time after time after time I've been unfaithful. This morning you might be thinking, well, yeah, it's great to hear about God's love. It's great to hear about his faithfulness. But you don't know where I'm coming from. You don't know the mess of my life. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. Jesus does, and he still went to the cross for you. He still wants for you to come to repentance. He still loves you more than his own existence. And Abraham says, my son, God will provide himself for a lamb for the burnt offering. God himself will show up to be the one to fulfill the covenant. God himself will step in and take Take the brunt of what we have chosen as a planet. They continue walking on up the mountain. Must have been the longest journey of Abraham's life. Verse 9, then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Can you imagine that conversation? Abraham's 120 years old. Isaac is 20 years old. I remember the day when I was finally stronger than my dad. We had been wrestling for years, and he would pin me down on the floor and tickle me mercilessly, I felt. I figured out ways to screech, to do whatever I could possible to just get him to stop tickling me. But he could hold me down, and he was stronger than me. But I remember the day, I don't remember what year it was, it was sometime around when I got into high school, when suddenly I realized I'm now stronger than my dad. He's tickled me for years, and now I am going to mercilessly hold him down. It was well before I turned 20 years old, and I remember taking my dad and taking him to the floor and just the look in his eyes. <laughs> And you know what? The next few days, he began to tell me, oh, Zach, my back, my back, every time we'd go to wrestle. I'd be like, wait a second, the next few years, it was always his back, and I don't know that we've wrestled since. You see, once you get to a certain age, the son becomes stronger than the father. That's often how it takes place, and it definitely would have taken place by this point between Isaac and Abraham, because Isaac is 20 years old, and his dad is 120 years old. So what is taking place here? is a voluntary willingness to participate on the part of Isaac. Isaac's saying, I'm all in with God too. I didn't hear his voice saying this, but I trust you enough to be a part of this. And it's an honor for me to give my life in just an answer to what God has asked for. What would that conversation have been like? That last few words. What would those, those parting conversation have been like between them? I can only imagine. But recently I heard the story about a, a man who wrote down his own last thoughts. I'll put a picture up here. He was, he was there in the darkness. 
He was there in the midst of what looked like was going to become his tomb. And I'll put a picture up of his notebook. He was bleeding as he found a pen and he began to scrawl across the pages. And he was writing to his three-year-old son and his six-year-old son. And as he wrote to them, this is what he said to them. Go to the next slide. He said to them, I was in a big accident. Don't be upset at God. He always provides for his children, even in hard times. Thinking that these are the last things that he's going to be able to say to his little children who are going to have to grow up without a dad. What kind of conversation goes on between Abraham and Isaac as as they're contemplating that this may be the last time that they get to talk together? I believe it was confidence. Just like Abraham had just expressed that God will provide for himself a sacrifice. Just like Dan Woosley who said, God always provides for his children. You can count on him. He's got bolts on the shelf for the past 60 years if you listen to the children's story. They're sitting in the back corner that even the owner doesn't know about. You can trust your God. He's got solutions, a thousand ways to provide for you of which you know nothing. Dan went on to say, I'm still praying that God will get me out. But he may not. But he will always take care of you. And so that knife was raised into the sky as Abraham went forward in obeying what seemed like an unobeyable command, but knowing who his God was, knowing that his God loved him, and knowing that he could trust him. He said, I'm going through with it because he's promised that he's my shield and my exceedingly great reward. I will go forward with anything he asked me to because I love him more than anything else. So Abraham raises that uh, his hand into the sky, his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. In verse eleven, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, "Abraham, Abraham!" So he said, "Here I am." And he said, "Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you what does it say? Fear God. Do you see what it means to fear God? When we come to the place where we fear God, it's coming to the place where we totally surrender to his incredible love because he is that beautiful. And we say, we'll give you everything, God. You are worth absolutely everything to me. That's what God is looking for in these last days. Hold your finger here, and we're going to go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14 is at the climax of the greatest crisis in all of history. Revelation 13 describes a beast power who's going to come and is going to inflict a a mark of the beast, and those who do not worship the beast will not be able to buy or sell. There's this threatening of death to those who are unwilling to be faithful to God. And then God sends a last day message to his people in Revelation 14 and verse 6. And he says this. Verse 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. He's got good news for a world that is panicking, a world that is falling apart. Friends, have you been following the news this past week? Have you been following the news this past month? Last night at our small group, There were multiple people talking about friends who have had people in their immediate sphere or their family murdered. 
We've had a close friend who was just shot in the chest just two weeks ago. We've seen the Pittsburgh shooting. We've seen all types of violence breaking out on this planet that has chosen to reject who God is. We need this message more than ever. Then I saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, the good news, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, what does he say? Fear God. That doesn't mean to shake and to tremble in such a way that you're afraid of this being. But instead, that means that you are so radically in love with this God that you would do anything. You'd give anything. You'd, you'd absolutely give your life for the one who's given everything for you. That's what it means to fear God. This is the first time that to fear God is used is in Genesis chapter 22. When Abraham is, is told, now I know that you fear God because you didn't withhold your only son from me. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And what does it say? And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Friends, this is the last day message. This is a crucial message for us to grasp that we have got to experience what Abraham experienced. We've got to realize that we too are going to be tested, that we too are going to be tried. And do we love Jesus that much that we just want to give him everything? And if we don't, what we need is to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just look at John chapter 8 and verse 56, Jesus talking about Abraham and what Abraham saw in this moment on, on Mount Moriah. John chapter 8 and verse 6 says this, verse 56, sorry. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says to them, your father Abraham, what does it say? Rejoiced, he was happy to see my day and he saw it and was glad. This was that moment when, G when Abraham saw more clearly than ever before. He'd seen it with a covenant, the breaking of the animals in part. But now he saw in, as he took Isaac to sacrifice him there, and as God said, no, I will give myself in place of Isaac, he realized who God was, and he rejoiced, and he was glad. It was the most beautiful experience, the most beautiful picture that Abraham had seen in his entire life. Going back to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12, it says, he said to him, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Since you've been willing to be faithful all the way to the end, I know that there's a love relationship with us that, that cannot be broken. As Dan Woolley was there, in the Montana Hotel, I'll show you a picture of the Mon Montana Hotel before that earthquake happened in Haiti. Here's a picture of the hotel before it crashed down, and here's a picture of it afterwards. Dan Woolley was there in the midst of this 
this building when it had come crashing down around him. He lost his glasses. He's nearsighted. He can't see anything, but he has a camera. He's there with Compassion International, mission organization, shooting a film to be able to help the people of Haiti out. And his world has just come crashing down around him. He's got a compound fracture in his leg. He's got a head wound. He, he uses his camera to be able to see where he's going. He shoots pictures and he looks because he can't see where he's going. And he's able to crawl until he gets into an elevator shaft. And then he, he finds his iPhone. He doesn't have any internet connection or any cell phone connection. But as he's looking on his iPhone, he remembers that he has that first aid app. And he, he scrolls to the first aid app and he opens it up and he, he puts in compound fracture. And he sees how to dress a compound fracture and what to do. And so he begins to, to work on his leg. And then he sees that it says that in a moment like this, you want to not fall asleep if you're in shock. And so he set his phone alarm to go off every 20 minutes to keep him awake. And then his thoughts began to turn to his children back home in the United States. They're going to grow up without a dad. I may not make it through this. What should I do? And he found his notebook, he found a pen, and he began to scrawl those words. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but God will provide. God will care for you. That's the truth that Dan Woolley hung on to in the last moments of his life. That's the truth that Abraham and Isaac were clinging to as Abraham bound his precious son and laid him there on the altar and began to strike him with that knife. And that's the truth that we'll see you and I through to the very end. Because Jesus is all over this chapter in Genesis chapter 22. I just wanted to show you really fast a few things here that make it so clear that this is all about Jesus. I want to put up a a chart here. If you look through Genesis chapter 22, the first thing that we see here that that correlates to Jesus is it says, your only son. It says that in verse 2 and again in verse 12. Nicodemus would have clearly known that this is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is clearly referring to this story and wants us to look to the story to understand more about who he is. And then the next point that we want to look at in comparing the two is that Isaac carries the wood. He carries the wood up, the very wood that is going to be the instrument for his sacrifice, and he places it there by the altar. In John 19, verse 17, Jesus bore his cross to Calvary, the very instrument by which he would be put to death. Continuing on, we see that not only did he carry the wood, but he also found something that we see in verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Why would the, the, the ram have been caught by its horns? Any ideas? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why not by its leg in the bush? I mean, why would it get caught by its, its horns? Yeah. Did you ever think about that before? I had a Hebrew teacher who, who pointed that out to me. If it was caught by its leg, if it was caught by any part of its body, it would have been torn. It would have had something happen to it. But instead, it was caught by its horns, which could handle that that bush. And so it was an unblemished sacrifice for Isaac to present, representing what Jesus would come as our perfect 
substitute. And then verse 13, let's go back to Genesis 22 and verse 13 before we look at the last point there. Genesis 22 and verse 13, it says, Then Abraham lifted his eyes, looked there, and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, what does he call it? The Lord will provide. Yahweh Jireh, or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That is the the important thing to take away from this story. God will provide for you. Fill in the blank. Wherever you are in your life, whatever you're facing, whatever difficulty, God will provide. He will provide the strength for victory. He will provide the finances that you need. He will provide exactly what you need in your life. God will provide. As it is said to this day in the Mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And fascinatingly enough, if you fast forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1, we find that Solomon comes and he wants to build this temple. David has commissioned him to build this temple. And as Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, on where? Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. This is the only other time that Moriah is mentioned in all of Scripture. And clearly there's a correlation here that on this very place where Isaac was the only son who took the wood and carried it on his back up a hill that may have been the very same hill that Jesus carried a cross up. As he went up and he found an unblemished ram caught by its horns. In that very place, God provided full and complete salvation for you. Absolute and complete. There's nothing you can add to it. Like John shared last week, it's like you're in that basketball game. And it's already, you're, you're ready to take the team to victory. And the whole game has been won for you. And you get to be put in in the last few seconds. God has accomplished it all for you. Do we recognize how desperately we need to be rescued? Desire of Ages, page 469, says, In God's provision of a sacrifice instead of Isaac, it was declared that no man could make expiation for himself. You can't do it. It's not possible. It's only through Jesus. So we've got to stop trying any other way. The pagan system of sacrifice was wholly unacceptable to God. No father was to offer up his son or his daughter for a sin offering. The Son of God alone can bear the guilt of the world. Friends, we have a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And He is on a mission to rescue you. And if you won't resist, He will save you. He has gone the distance for you. He's gone through hell itself, the experience of what we would have to go through in the second death. He has gone through the equivalent of that on your behalf. And the question is, Will we accept to be rescued? I want to show you what happened to Don, Dan Woolley in conclusion. Just as you think about the rescuing that you need in your own life, think about the experience of worship that Dan Woolley experienced as you watch this video. I 
I was in Haiti to film mothers and babies and really to capture stories about poverty. We got to our hotel and I had just entered the lobby. I noticed the sound before anything else. Just explosions of sound around me. That's when just all chaos broke loose. The walls started, the ground below us starting to move out from under us. I found myself in just complete darkness. Uh, within three seconds, the whole world had collapsed around me. I've never experienced darkness like that. It almost felt like a presence around me. There was nothing I could do. I was stuck there until someone came to rescue me. I was faced from that moment with life and death. As I'm trying to figure out where do I need to move to and am I safe here, I pull out my iPhone. I can tell right away I don't have a signal. But I did remember that I had a, a first aid application. And I wrap my wounds according to what I see. And I'm thinking about my wife thinking about my two young sons and I'm recognizing that there's a pretty good chance that I'm not going to make it out of this and that's what I remembered that I had a journal I'd flash on the page to see if there was any writing on the page I just tried to think what would make a difference in their lives and what could they hold on to that's where I really started talking to God and I started saying God is this it am I am I going to die I spent some time in the most intense experience of confession, contrition, and repentance, and just handing my heart to God. Though I felt so far from God, He was right there with me, and He was ready to embrace me. I did have the most personal and intense time of worship and connection with God that I've ever had in my life. It was at that moment while I lay in the rubble with no hope that I saw a light above me and in the shaft above the elevator, my rescuer came down and said, I'm here for you. And just to look over my shoulder and to see light it was sanity, and it was life. I'm out. I'm going to return to my family. Friends, look up. The Lord will provide. Are you in a place of darkness today? Do you feel like the world is crushed in around you? Do you feel like you're just there helpless and bleeding? Look to Jesus. The Lord will provide. God has already provided it for you. He's fully paid all for every sin in your life. And he simply asks, will you accept a loving relationship with me today? Will you believe and will you enter into a life of faithfulness just like Abraham? Not in your strength, but in my strength. If it's your desire to have that experience, I just want to invite you to bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, 
Words can't describe how beautiful you really are. Oh God, we want to see like Abraham the days of Jesus and to be led to rejoice and to be glad. We want to see in you a full and complete Savior. We want to recognize that there is nothing we can add to what you have already done for us. And may that be what motivates us to faithfulness in the face of all odds, in the face of every challenge, in the face of every difficulty. Oh, Father, may our faith be motivated by love. May we be filled with love for Jesus. And may we have confidence that you will provide. It's your desire just to say to heaven, God, I believe. Help my unbelief today. I believe you will provide Help my unbelief. Just lift your hand to heaven just now and say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, thank you that you promise that you will provide for all of our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.